0: Monday and I told you I would promise you a new uh, little tack today, taking a slight break from the election coverage. Although I do have one little tidbit to share with you, which I will do at the end of the show. But today I promised you I was going to attack this COVID-19 nonsense, this pandemic nonsense that they've been foisting upon you for the better part of the last year and have used for their nefarious purposes to try and manipulate the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury for National Preview Online. And welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show by going to the iTunes App Store and simply searching for NP Online. Or, in the alternative, go to the Google Play Store, download the free Podbean app, and subscribe to the show that way by the same name. Hopefully, we'll have the show directly. Uh, in the Google Play Store, but so far that's proving a little bit difficult from a technological standpoint. In any event, so what do I want to tell you about the COVID-19 virus? Well, for the longest time, people were speculating that they were adding the flu numbers to it uh, and adding other things to it to make it look like there were more deaths than when they actually were. I'm going to get you something um, right out of the hill, which quotes, CDC numbers, and I'm going to take a different tact. I'm not going to tell you the numbers were inflated. Instead, I'm going to tell you the real numbers. I'll let you draw your own conclusion, and then we'll give you some perspective. So to put it in perspective, let's reiterate what I have mentioned on the show before. In any given year in the United States there are approximately 54 to 58 million cases of the seasonal flu. And those 58 million cases result in approximately 64,000 deaths. Okay, you got that number? Now, mind you, this is a seasonal flu. This is a flu to which a good percentage of the population already has a natural immunity for. And there is a vaccine which is manufactured every year based on the best guess of people who are in infectious diseases as to whether or not what strain of the flu is going to be predicted to come out. And so in any given year that vaccine uh, could be either very effective or maybe 50% effective depending on how good they make their guesses. But the point is it is going to have a degree of effectiveness. So if a lot of people get the vaccine That attenuates the number of people who get the flu. Notwithstanding all these variables, 54 million people get the flu every year and 64,000 people die. Now, to date, we have 267,000 people dead from the COVID 19 virus. And this is a virus for which there is no vaccine and that no one has any immunity for. Well, right then and there, it doesn't take a genius to figure out. It doesn't take a calculator to help you figure out that if you're going to have a virus that has nothing to stop it, no immunity, no vaccine, then you're going to have more deaths simply because, not that it's any more lethal on a percentage basis, but because more people will ultimately wind up getting it. And that's the case here. According to the CDC, about 11 million Americans have tested positive for the virus, but these are numbers that are derived from the fact that these people had symptoms and they sought medical attention. And when they sought medical attention, they were tested, and the test revealed that they were positive. But we also know that 97% of all people or more who get these uh, COVID-19 viruses are going to be either asymptomatic completely or have symptoms so mild that they don't bother to get checked. You with me? So based on that, historical patterns and the infection, infectivity of other similar uh, flu-type viruses, they estimate that about 110 million people in the United States have been infected. And this was as of a few weeks ago when I looked at the numbers. It may even be more since then. So now we've got 267,000 deaths out of 11 million, and that's less than 1%. And that's accepting their numbers. But let's go a little more deeper into the, uh, or a little more deeply, I should say, into this report. I'm going to read this to you from The Hill, and that is, is U.S. COVID-19 death count inflated? On August 26th, now these are older numbers, but listen to this. This is the time when they had data correlated. On August 26th, the U.S. Center for Disease Control issued a report showing that in 94% of the roughly 180,000 deaths that had been attributed up to COVID-19 death, that was the number of deaths known up to that time, there were 2.6 additional conditions or causes per death. As the CDC report notes, for 6% of the deaths, COVID-19 was the only cause mentioned. So in other words, if you didn't have anything wrong with you, if you weren't old or otherwise in a compromised state of health, the likelihood of you dying... From COVID 19 was extremely unlikely. And even factoring all of that stuff in with the people who had the comorbidities, as they're called in the medical profession, we have a death rate of less than 1%. The only reason we have more deaths is because we have more people getting it because there's no immunity for it. But it isn't on an order of magnitude that would justify uh, changing our entire lifestyle and shutting down a country, country, and causing people to imperil themselves for um, ancillary causes of death, like having other more serious conditions go untreated because they're afraid to leave their home, or doctors won't see them, or people engaged in excessive consumption of alcohol or recreational drugs in order to escape the, the depression, people dying from that. It just doesn't make any sense. So we have all these numbers. Now, I took that number, and I did a little calculation for you. As of today, we have 267,000 deaths. Assuming the percentages have held, and there's no reason to consider they didn't, only 6% of those 267,000 people had nothing wrong with them and died. That's 16,020 people. Out of approximately 110 million people that we think had it. This hardly justifies doing what they've done to us, forcing us to all look like bank robbers, walking around with masks, stealing a presidential election by telling everyone, oh, you have to mail your vote in. It's too unsafe to go out and wait online. But these same schmucks are out every day going to Walmart and going to the stop and shop, handling grocery items on the shelf that were touched by a hundred other people before they touched it. I don't see anybody in the aisles when I go shopping, wiping down all the merchandise as soon as someone picks it up. Nobody seems to have any compunction against doing that. I've said this before, but yet going in to a voting booth and taking a piece of paper that nobody else touched before, that was going to put you over the edge and cause you to die. You're being hustled, my friends. You're being hustled in such a big way, you can't, even ex- you can't even find the words to express it. This is a complete crock of fertilizer. There is nothing to this. Look, I'm not saying people haven't died. P- people die every day in this country. People die from the flu. People die in automobile accidents at the rate of 50,000 a year. People die of cancer every year. And I got news for you. Cancer, leukemia, These other diseases, they don't have a 99% survival rate, but COVID-19 does. And just as I've said before, if I've got to get a disease, and you can guarantee me if I get this one disease, I won't get any other, give me COVID-19. Please let me stand online and tell me where I can get my COVID-19. I'd love to be flat on my back, even get the worst of it, for a week and a half or two weeks and run a fever, and then know as soon as I got up, that I would never have another disease again for the rest of my life. And that's only if I'm one of the lucky two and a half percent that exhibits any symptoms. I could very well be one of those people who doesn't even know they've got it. So give me COVID-19. This is the biggest hustle that has ever been perpetrated on the American people. And it's a disgrace. And they're starting again, even with this vaccine, thanks to President Trump, which is going to be available early in 2021. Even Now. They're trying to maintain their hold over you. The articles are rife. You got that phony Fauci piece of garbage out there saying, I don't want to alarm anybody, but there's going to be a spike. Uh, And the Attorney General, there's going to be a spike. Yes, there's going to be a spike. Uh, Is is the death rate going to increase, Dr. Fauci, beyond the current under 1% death rate that it is right now? Is it? Is it, Mr. Surgeon General? Because if it isn't, sit down and shut the hell up. Because we don't need to hear it. We really don't need to hear it. Most people with a brain in their head have figured this out already. But we got these few ultra-leftists that love being told what to do. And that's how they're able to advance communism and socialism, by getting people thinking that the people in the government know better than you. They don't know anything, except how to steal. Now, I said I wasn't going to speak about the election today, but today isn't a very, very big show, because there are a lot of things going on. There are live hearings in the state of Arizona right now. I've been watching that it this morning uh, with an uplink through the Epic Times. It's extremely illuminating. I encourage everybody to watch it. I'm sure it'll be up on YouTube. Uh, Later today, you should watch it. And so I'm waiting for a lot of that data to come in, and I'll probably uh, integrate all of that in tomorrow's podcast. But I came across this article um, written by a man named Patrick Basham, Um, and it's entitled... Reasons why the 2020 presidential election is deeply puzzling. And since I'm doing a short podcast today, I thought I would read this article in its entirety to you, because even if you're a person who is left of center, you have to lend credibility to what this man is saying, because he clearly has no ax to grind, and the points that he brings out are absolutely undeniable. So listen carefully to what I'm going to say. To say out loud that you find the results of the 2020 presidential election odd is to invite derision. You must be a crank or a conspiracy theorist. Mark me down as a crank then. I am a pollster, and I find this election to be deeply puzzling. I also think that the Trump campaign is still well within its rights to contest the tabulations. Something very strange happened in America's democracy in the early hours of Wednesday, November 4th, and the days that followed. It's reasonable for a lot of Americans to want to find out exactly what. First, consider some facts. President Trump received more votes than any previous incumbent seeking re-election. He got 11 million more votes than he received in 2016. The third largest rise in support ever for an incumbent president. By way of comparison, President Obama... Was comfortably reelected in 2012 with three and a half million fewer votes than he received in 2008. Trump's vote increased so much because, according to exit polls, he performed far better with many key demographic groups. 95% of Republicans voted for him. He did extraordinarily well with rural male working class whites. He earned the highest share of all minority votes for a Republican since 1960. Trump grew his support among black voters by 50% over what he achieved in 2016. Nationally, Joe Biden's black support fell well below 90%, the level below which Democratic presidential candidates usually lose. And let us continue. Trump increased his share of the national Hispanic vote to 35%, with 60% or less of the national Hispanic vote, and that's what Joe Biden would have had if Trump had 35, all he could get was 55, and split it with the other candidate, the third-party candidate. With 60% or less of the national Hispanic vote, it is arithmetically impossible for a Democratic presidential candidate to win Florida, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. Yet, they have you wanting to believe that Biden did win Arizona, Nevada, and Mexico. Of course, Trump crushed him in Florida, so they couldn't flip that. Bellwether states swung further in Trump's direction than in 2016. Florida, Ohio, and Iowa each defied America's media polls with huge wins for Trump. Since 1852, Only Richard Nixon has lost the Electoral College after winning this trio. And that 1960 defeat to John F. Kennedy is still the subject of great suspicion. Midwestern states Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin always swing in the same direction as Ohio and Iowa, their regional peers. Ohio, likewise, swings with Florida. Current tallies show that outside of a few cities, the Rust Belt swung in Trump's direction. Yet Biden leads in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin because of an apparent avalanche of black votes in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. Biden's, quote, winning margin was derived almost entirely from such voters in these cities, as coincidentally, his black vote spiked only in exactly the locations necessary to secure victory. He did not receive comparable levels of support, among comparable demographic groups in comparable states, which is highly unusual for the presidential victor. We are told that Biden won more votes nationally than any presidential candidate in history. My comment here, pretty unique for a man who never left his basement. Back to the article. But he won a record low of 17% of the counties across this country. He only won 524 counties, as opposed to the 873 counties Obama won in 2008. Yet Biden somehow outdid Obama in total votes? Victorious presidential candidates, especially challengers, usually have down ballot coattails. Biden did not. The Republicans held the Senate and enjoyed a red wave in the House where they gained a large number of seats while winning all 27 toss-up contests. Trump's party did not lose a single state legislature and actually made gains at the state level. Another anomaly is found in the comparison between the polls and the non-polling metrics. The latter include party registrations, trends, the candidates, respective primary votes, candidate enthusiasm, social media followings, broadcast and digital media ratings, online searches, the number of, especially small, donors, and the number of individuals betting on each candidate. Despite poor recent performances, media and academic polls have usually had an impressive 80% record, predicting the winner during the modern era. But when the polls are in error, as they were in this case... The non-polling metrics do not error. The latter have a 100% record. Every non-polling metric forecast Trump's re-election. For Trump to lose this election, the mainstream polls needed to be correct, which they were not. Furthermore, for Trump to lose, not only did one or more of these metrics the non-polling metrics, that is, have to be wrong for the first time ever, but every single one had to be wrong, and at the very same time. Not an impossible outcome, but extremely unlikely nonetheless. Atypical voting patterns married with misses by polling and non-polling metrics should give observers pause for thought. And adding to the mystery... Is a cascade of information about the bizarre manner in which so many ballots were accumulated and counted. The following peculiarities also lack compelling explanations. And I challenge, this is me now, I challenge my liberal friends to challenge these and offer even the, pl- the simplest or faintly plausible of explanations. One, late on election night, with Trump comfortably ahead. Many swing states just stopped counting ballots. In most cases, observers were removed from the counting facilities. Counting then generally continued without the observers. Two. Statistically abnormal vote counts were the new normal when counting resumed. They were unusually large in size, hundreds of thousands, and had an unusually high... 90% and above Biden-to-Trump ratio. Three, late-arriving ballots were counted. In Pennsylvania, 23,000 absentee ballots have impossible postal return dates, and another 86,000 have such extraordinary return dates, they raise serious questions. Mind you, the margin of victory in Pennsylvania is about 80,000, and I've just highlighted for you here in this article uh, 109,000 ballots. Four, the failure to match signatures on mail in ballots, the destruction of mail in ballot envelopes, which must contain signatures. Five, historically low absentee ballot rejection rates despite the massive expansion of mail voting. Such is Biden's narrow margin. That as political analyst Robert Burns observes barnes I'm sorry Robert Barnes observes, if the states simply imposed the same absentee ballot rejection rate as recent cycles, then Trump wins the election six missing votes in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, 50,000 votes held on 47 USB cards are missing. I wonder why could it be that they're from a very heavily Republican county, and they're all for Trump. Seven, non-resident voters. Matt Brainard's Voter Integrity Project. If you recall, I spoke about this on a previous show more than once. His Voter Integrity Project estimates that 20,312 people who no longer met residency requirements cast ballots in Georgia. Biden's margin in Georgia is a mere 12,670 votes. That could give Georgia to Trump. Eight. Serious chain of custody breakdowns, invalid residential addresses, record numbers of dead people voting, ballots in pristine condition without creases, that is, they had not been mailed in envelopes as required by law, meaning they were manufactured someplace else and probably on the night of the election. Nine. Statistical anomalies. In Georgia, Biden overtook Trump with 89% of the votes counted. For the next 53 batches of votes, Biden led Trump by the same exact 50.05 to 49.95% margin in every single batch. It is particularly perplexing that all of these statistical anomalies and tabulation abnormalities were all in Biden's favor, not a single one in Trump's favor. Whether the cause was simple human error or nefarious activity or a combination of both, clearly something peculiar happened. If you think that only weirdos have legitimate concerns about these findings and claims, then maybe the weirdness Lies in You, written by Patrick Basham, the director of the Democracy Institute. Check it out online. That article appeared in the Spectator. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.